0: And now, a reading from the Gospel according to Saint Mark. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, <clears throat> in other news, it's been cold and snowy around here lately, in case you missed it. It's, uh, this week has offered a pretty steady diet of, shall we say, less than optimal weather. And this kind of weather makes me really uncomfortable. Man, I don't, don't, don't just mean physically, I, I, I mean I get worried. I mean, what if the power goes off? It did, at our house. <laughs> what if the antifreeze level isn't sufficient and the engine block cracks? I've had it happen. What if the water pipe breaks? Well, just look at the folks in Houston. I mean, you see what I mean, right? I mean, you can't turn on the TV without seeing exactly these kinds of catastrophic, just, uh, circumstances all over the world, especially in Texas. I mean, it tears your heart right out. You can't turn on the TV without seeing all of these things. It makes you. It makes you feel h- humble and powerless. I think about the ice storm back in two thousand nine, and I've talked about it before. But you know, sort of packing up. The kids and the dogs moving into my office here at the church for a week. It was a great experience that everyone should enjoy. Once. Because once, once is plenty. I, I mean, what about the roads? I mean, they're dangerous. And even if the roads aren't slippery, which at many times during the past week they have been. But when it's as cold as it is this week, one small error out there, and you can find yourself at the mercy of the elements in a very short period of time. We know that. DBCC has been at the center of an attempt uh, to prevent just this horrible eventuality from happening over the past week. We've raised about $45,000 so far from almost 600 individual donors from all over the country uh, since last Sunday afternoon. And all of this was to purchase almost 100 hotel rooms for close to 200 houseless people for a week just in order to get them off the streets so they don't freeze to death. And additionally, with our partners at Feed Louisville, we've, we've been producing, uh, we've been a part of producing and delivering between seven to 800 meals a day to our unsheltered friends. One of, the guy, one of the guys who does outreach on the streets told me a story the other night. You know, I were talking and, and I said something about our efforts to save people's lives. And I said, you know, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. And he said, oh, Derek, you, you have no idea how true that is. He said, I, I, I was downtown picking up people to take them out to one of the hotels and a guy got in my back seat, and he just broke down. And I said, are, are you all right, man? We're gonna get you someplace safe and warm. And the guy said, look, you just don't know. When you showed up, I was organizing my tent so that everyone would be able to get my stuff after I'm gone. I was just getting ready to leave, to walk down to the Second Street Bridge and just be done with all of this. If you had shown up 15 minutes later, I'd be gone. You literally saved my life. I mean, it's, it's hard out there in the wilderness. It's dangerous. I mean, have you ever been out in the middle of nowhere, unable to contact anyone, the sun getting hotter or the air getting more frigid? I mean, you know, out there in the, in the wilderness. And that's the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? But see, we suburbanites, we have an interesting relationship to the wilderness. I mean, it, it, it tends to get romanticized in our culture, doesn't it? Survivor man, naked and afraid, man versus wild. I mean, we like the idea of the wilderness as sort of untamed frontier filled with, with beauty and, 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 and wonder, a place to, to go and get in touch with ourselves. But the reality of the wilderness is starker and deadlier much less forgiving. There's no question that the wilderness holds great beauty and wonder, but it also holds uncertainty and isolation and bone-deep fear. It holds wild animals and unforgiving climates and isolation and, 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 and death. Now, think about Jesus in our text for this morning. The water of his baptism not yet dried behind his ears He finds himself out in the wilderness, facing down the master of lies, the bringer of death. And I say that Jesus finds himself out in the wilderness because if Mark has it right, Jesus didn't sort of wander out there by choice. The text says he was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now, I mean, doesn't that strike you as odd? The Spirit driving... Jesus out into the wilderness. But the Spirit makes another appearance in our text for this morning. Right? Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the text says, He saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. Jesus is baptized and the heavens are torn apart. And you remember this from just a few weeks ago. Torn apart. And what's interesting is that the word Mark used to describe the heavens being torn apart at Jesus' baptism is the same word that he uses to describe the tearing of the veil of the temple after Jesus' death. We talked about this. The word is schizo, which, of course, is from the root uh, from which we get schizophrenic, uh, a person whose personality has been torn in two. So only two times in the book of Mark that that word is used. But the obvious question is well so what? (laughs) Well I mean how do we usually interpret the tearing of the temple veil? Do do, do you remember? The veil was that heavy piece of material that, that sort of hung between the inner court of the temple and the holy of holies. It was the symbolic boundary between our world and the presence of God. Between us and the place where God is. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. And then, of course, only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then it was to offer sacrifice on behalf of all of the children of Israel. So when Mark tells us that the veil guarding the Holy of Holies was torn open when Jesus died. He is, in effect, saying that the heavens have been ripped apart and that that which was formerly separated from us, uh, that is to say, God, that which had separated us from the presence of God, has been torn apart and we are once again in God's presence. Now, by using the same word about the heavens being torn open, God—or excuse me—Mark makes a point of telling us that the Spirit comes sort of crashing into our world at the baptism of Jesus. There's now no separation between the sacred and the profane, and it's the same Spirit who barges into the little party being thrown for Jesus, who then takes the guest of honor and drives him out into the wilderness. Congratulations on your baptism, now hop in the car, we're fixing to take a road trip. That quick swing could give a person whiplash. But it it seems important to point out that, that it's precisely because God breaks in and comes tromping through humanity's house, yanking Jesus out of the bathtub and putting him out on the road, that gives Jesus the confidence that he doesn't have to go out into the wilderness alone. Now, yes, of uh, of course, the wilderness is a scary place. One not even Jesus himself chooses to go to if he doesn't have to. But at least part of the message of our gospel this morning is that, one, signing on with Jesus means that all that hoo-ha about God taking care of all your problems is if not a lie, then at least, at best, a half-truth. Because the reality of it is that following Jesus can buy you all kinds of problems that you would never have faced if you'd stayed home and played Word with, Words with Friends on your iPhone. For those seeking to be faithful, Jesus isn't always the answer to your problems. Often, our commitment to following him is the very source of them. Which leads us to number two. But the good news is that even though following Jesus doesn't prevent us from having to lay eyes on the wilderness because of the fact that God has busted in on us, determined not to leave us alone, we never have to go into the wilderness by ourselves. Even if we wanted to, there's no place that we can go that God doesn't go with us. Now, all of that is nice and edifying, right? It's good news. But we've heard something like that before, right? Well, I mean, maybe not the first one so much. Jesus, rather than taking away your problems, just brings you a whole new set of problems. That's one we don't hear much about. But the second one, you know, the God-goes-with-you-everywhere one, I mean, that's obviously more common. It's We've heard it before. It's, it's, it sounds like a sort of less metaphorical take on the old footprint, footprints in the sand parable. Now, I, I I mean that all that stuff is pretty good stuff, but there's something else in there that feels much less obvious to me, but that is just as important. And it starts with one question. Why does Mark go to the trouble of mentioning Jesus being taken out in the wilderness with the wild beasts I mean neither Matthew nor Mark or excuse me Matthew nor Luke mention the wild beasts so why does Mark I mean what what turns on that phrase well I'll just tell you I think that theologically there's a lot writing on those four words with the wild beasts why Of course, we know that there are wild beasts in the wilderness. So, I mean, it's not like Mark's mentioning of them is out of place. Like if he'd said Jesus was out in the wilderness with a lame penguin and a couple of porpoises. Now that would be out of place. But still, why mention it at all? I mean, it just seems weird. Okay, so let's ask the question. Where else in scripture are wild animals mentioned? Well, the text that comes immediately to mind for me is the text from Advent, from Isaiah. You remember that one from the 11th chapter, the, the, the text that's often called the Peaceable Kingdom? The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and the little, ch- and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den, and they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. See, Isaiah suggests that when God's anointed shows up on the scene, the wilderness itself will be transformed. Even the wild beasts will learn a new way of living together. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. In a very subtle way, Mark opens up us up to the possibility that this Jesus, the one upon whom the Spirit lights after the heavens are torn open, is the one who himself will tear the veil that separates us from the wild beasts, from the wild beasts of the wilderness. In other words, in Jesus, the wilderness is transformed from a place of fear into a place of hope. Or as William Placker once said, what Jesus is beginning is the transformation of this world, and that is why those in charge of this world as it was ended up killing him. The wilderness of the world as it was held the possibility of terror, of isolation, and death. But after Jesus shows up, it's now a place where new possibilities are born possibilities for a different kind of world in which those who were formerly enemies can now be reconciled in peace. A, a, a place where formerly violence was the common denominator of adversarial relationships has become a place where love drives our relationship with one another, where there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male or female, black or white, gay or straight, resident or foreigner, ISIS or American. Now there is no them. There's only us with Jesus standing in the middle. A place where the strong used to feast on the weak has been completely altered into a place where the weak are no longer hors d'oeuvres, but partners in a beloved community where there is finally enough For everyone. A place where being different often meant death can now be a place where the fundamental diversity of life can be embraced as a, a show of the strength of our commitment to the one who tore that veil between us. A place where people who've lived on the streets out in the wilderness can find their home within a larger community that embraces them finally as family and not themselves as wild beasts to be shuffled off out of sight so that they cease to be a reminder of our failures as a society to provide for the most vulnerable among us. And I know, I mean, I can hear it. Somebody's saying, oh, that's just pie-in-the-sky stuff. Come on, that, 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 that new world doesn't exist. And it never will. I agree that it doesn't exist now, but I'm not so sure about the possibility that it never will. Tony Campolo tells a story about being in a church in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a guy who had cancer. And so Campolo says he prays for the guy to be healed. Next week he gets this phone call from the guy's wife and she said uh, you're you prayed for my husband he he had cancer and he remembers and he sort of picks up on the fact that she uses the past tense thinking that perhaps the guy's cancer has you know gone away somehow but before he could think much about it she said <clears throat> he died out Campola uh, he's Felt terrible, but she said, don't feel bad. When he came to church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and just heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew toward God, the more miserable he was to everybody else around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But the lady tells Campolo, you know, after you prayed for him, uh, a peace came over him, and, and a joy came into him. She said, Tony, the last three days before he died, have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we've prayed. They've been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. But then she said something that makes all the difference in the world. She said he wasn't cured. But he was healed. Look, when Jesus meets us out in the wilderness, he doesn't mag- magically cure all the violence, doesn't stopper the mouths of the wild beasts, doesn't make all of our problems go away. Instead, he provides healing which is a different frame, one that offers hope where before there was only the inevitability of fear and death. Healing gives us enough space to consider new possibilities. To truly see those with whom we were formerly at war as themselves children of the God who breaks in on all of us. God ripped open the heavens and the Spirit descended and drove Jesus out into the wilderness And in the world that Jesus is busy announcing now those stranded out in the wilderness will finally find a home. So if you're looking for Jesus that's where you should probably start searching. Out there in the wilderness reconciling all people. In fact, he's never left. He's always been there.